Hello, and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. This is episode 29, Reign of Terror, the double event. I'm Jonathan Mangus, and joining me on the show today from Maidstone, Kent in the UK, is Paul Begg. From Ramsgate, Kent in the UK, is Chris Scott. From Neath, Wales, is Gareth Williams. And from Charlottesville, Virginia, is Allie Ryder. In the early morning hours of September 30th, 1888, two murders took place in the East End of London. Coming three weeks after the body of Annie Chapman had been discovered in the backyard of 29 Hanbury Street. The deaths of prostitutes Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes on the same night, thanks to the writer of the Saucy Jack postcard received the day after the murders, has given a title to the Stride and Edo killings as the double event. Uh, for a, a brief background on the murder of Elizabeth Stride, which was the first to occur, Stride was murdered sometime, sometime between 12.45 and 1 o'clock a.m. in the Dutfield Yard entrance to the International Working Men's Club on Burner Street. She was found by club steward Dimschitz, who was driving his pony and cart into the gates of the yard and died from having her throat slit. There was a witness to an attack on Stride at about 12.45 a.m. A man named Israel Swartz was walking down Burner Street, got as far as the gates at Dutfield's yard, when he saw a woman identified as Stride being approached and then assaulted. The man he saw was described as about 30 years old, 5 feet 5 inches tall, fair complexion, dark hair, small mustache, broad-shouldered, wearing a dark jacket and trousers and a black peaked cap. Catherine Eddowes' murdered body was discovered about 45 minutes after that of Elizabeth Stride by P.C. Watkins of the city police. Around 10 minutes before the discovery of Eddowes, Joseph Levend, walking by the church passage to Mitre Square, saw a woman who he later by her clothing identified as Eddowes talking to a man described as 30 years old, 5 feet 7 inches tall, medium build with a mustache, a salt and pepper coat, and a gray uh, cap with a peak, as well as a red neckerchief uh, tied around his neck. Fairly similar descriptions, I think of the man, man saw at Dutfield Yard and the man saw at Mitre Square, but we'll maybe get into that. Or on the last podcast, Paul Begg had stated something towards the end of the last podcast on Kosminski, that if Schwartz was the man called to identify the suspect at the seaside home and not Lavenda, which Paul uh, tends to believe it was Schwartz, then that would mean that he positively identified the man seen assaulting Stride. Paul commented that identifying Stride's attacker does not necessarily mean that he identified the Ripper, since there is still some lively debate on the subject as to whether or not Elizabeth Stride's killer and Catherine's killer were one and the same. That statement by Paul, and I meant, I wish I had time um, on that Kazminsky show to have him elaborate on, on that a little bit. But it is um, kind of, um, it illustrates how the historian's takes on the case up, up until fairly recently, as always, you know, uh, slammed these two murders in together as a double event. But now 
uh, within the last decade or so, we're seeing a revision and, and people looking back on it and wondering whether or not Stride's attacker was someone different than Catherine Eddowes' attacker. So, Paul, now that um, we do have time, could you elaborate a little bit on, on that statement? Yes. Um, <clears throat> basically, what, what I said is, as, you, as you've just summarized, um, the point I was making at the, the, on the Kosminski show was basically that uh, Joseph Lavender, we know, was called in to identify... Uh, Thomas Sadler as uh, the murderer of um, Francis Coles. Now, uh, obviously, he was the the witness to uh, Catherine Eddowes. And I was just saying that if um, if uh, if Le- sorry if Schwartz was the the man who was called in to positively or, or called in to identify Kosminski and positively identified him, then he couldn't have been called in again um, a week or so later to give an identification of Sadler. So therefore, um, uh, Lavender was brought in at at that time. Now, if Schwartz was was the the, the witness and if he saw the the assault on stride, all I was saying basically was that the murder of uh, stride need not necessarily have been uh, the, the murderer of the other victims, and so that that might provide a solution to uh, the Anderson problem uh, vis-a-vis what other um, police, senior police officers say with regard to uh, the Ripper's identity not being known. Anderson, of course, would have um, uh, got the, the guy who murdered Stride and presumably assumed or, or had some reason that other people became unaware of or were unaware of uh, for supposing that uh, the murderer of Stride had killed all the other people. But, of course, from our point of view, if she wasn't uh, a, a Ripper victim, then Kosminski wasn't Jack the Ripper. And there is this uh, growing uh, movement, if you like, to the idea that... Um, that, that the stride wasn't murdered by, by Jack the Ripper. And it's a pity, really, that we, we, we haven't got Dave Yost on because Dave Yost's just done a book on uh, on stride. And he comes to the conclusion, I hope I'm not giving anything away or running a spoiler here, but he comes to the conclusion that she wasn't uh, murdered by, by Jack the Ripper. Does, does he name um, a, a murderer of stride in his book? Was it- no, not really. Um, he's just... He, I mean, the, the, the book is about Elizabeth Stride, so he's not that... Uh, worried about trying to name the suspect. Okay. Um, back to the uh, the witness descriptions that we have, Schwartz and Lavenda. And we'll get into more detail about the Elizabeth Stride murder as well because there's another person involved, Pipe Man is what he's popularly known as. But would everyone agree that the two witness descriptions, one given at the scene of the Dutfield Jard murder and then the one given at by the witness at um, Church Passage, resemble each other pretty closely? Certainly with regard to the peaked hat uh, Um, or the sailorly appearance. Yes, but, I mean, that's sort of like brown hair, brown eyes. Um, How many peaked hats were there? I mean, it's not like nowadays where, you know, it would be like today if we had two killers that were seen, one was wearing blue jeans and a baseball cap and the other was wearing jeans and a baseball cap. Is it necessarily an identical description or is it just someone's wearing a hat, they're committing a crime? What's the most like, you know, it's not like it's such a distinctive type of a description. 
that you could say for sure that they are matching. Yeah, I, I, of course I, it is, I, uh, yes. I, I tend to agree, Ali. I mean, um, you, you're right, John, in, in, in saying that there is a similarity, give or, t- give or take a couple of inches. Um, no sixth form puns there, please. But um, in, in, in terms of the, uh, the very generic description that uh, actually both witnesses provide, uh, albeit the vendor gives us the, um, the bonus of a, a red neckerchief, um, uh, they could be anybody, uh, would be my view. Right. It's, it's, so it's kind of one of the things where, yes, the two uh, witness descriptions were very similar, but then they also uh, they would have also matched a million other people living in, in the, the neighborhood at the time. Yeah. I think most of the people, when they're looking at was it a, a true double event, I think they tend to point more towards the disparities in the knives that were used as a uh, an indicator that they were not done by the same person. Um, I believe Stride, um, her, the description of her knife was a short, rounded, dull um, type of knife, which was very different than the knives used on the rest of, of the victims, the so-called victims of Jack the Ripper. So I think when you're looking at a double event and you're looking at similarities and disparities, that the one that really stands out to most people who look at stride with a grain of salt are just the knife descriptions that are given. Well, I think, um, I think Ali is, is perfectly right. Now, again, it's something I, I seem to recall that Dave Yost uh, picks up on. He's, he says that um, a short knife was used um, instead of uh, a long-bladed knife, and, I, and I, he... Uh, makes the observation that there was no evidence to suggest that the earlier victims or other other victims were f- dispatched with uh, with a short bladed knife before the long knife being employed. Um, and he's, I, I think he also says that the um, the knife was used differently. I, um, I, I think something about uh, the knife being plunged into the neck in one case and in the other being drawn across to um, so that one was a a sort of slicing action and the other kind of ripping action. So I, I think those are the things about the knife that he uh, he picks up, and and also that uh, the throat wound didn't sever the um, the carotid arteries. And you've got all of the all of the four victims that we know of being cons- you know a long sharp knife, and there is only Stride who has a, a short, dull knife used on her, there has to be a question. You have to look at that and go, well, why would he use a completely separate knife on one victim and one victim only? Why would Stride be singled out for this use of this knife as opposed to every other victim? Then, of course, if, uh, if Stride was murdered by... Uh, the person who Schwartz saw, then we have a very, or what would appear to be a very unusual technique in, in, in that the other victims seem to have had a conversation and they, they were taken into quiet locations. This looks to have been a spontaneous attack, um, which therefore would have been quite different from uh, the mode of, of attack in, in all the other cases. Having said that, of course, uh, that might explain why... A different knife was used, and and um, why a different technique in that respect was was being used because it, it maybe he just didn't expect um, or hadn't gone out to murder at that particular point. Guessing here, of course. And then he picked. Where did he get the second knife? Did he run home? Well, yes, that, that, that thought just just 
That thought just went through my mind as I, which prefaced my remark of saying, "I'm only guessing, of course." <laughs> or or <laughs> he, he uh, remembered from when he killed Martha Tabram to carry two different knives with him. Yes, he suddenly yeah. thought the knife in my back pocket I should have used. <laughs> Lucky she didn't get the bayonet treatment. <laughs> can, can I just yeah, ask, on, can I just ask on on what basis the the dullness is because um, Philip said that the throat was deeply gashed and he, but he also described the incision as clean cut so I'm just wondering on what basis you know it's, it's asserted mm. that it was a dull, a dull knife that was used. I think as far as I can see the, as far as I can see the major difference is with regard to the actual depth and extent of the, because Philip says that the, the, the cut on the left side was extremely deep and that all the major arteries and all the major structures were severed. But on the right side, he describes the cut as superficial. Mm. Yes, and, and, and tapering away um, to below the so angle it, of the right jaw. Yeah. <laughs> he does sort of contradict himself, though, Chris, doesn't he? With, um, because he gives the cause of death then as the partial severance of the left carotid. Yes. Um, so evidently the, um, the, the wound on the left yeah. side wasn't that, uh, that deep as he may have made out. What I'm getting at somewhat, somewhat obliquely is, is two things. Firstly, I, I can't see from the scant evidence that we've got, which really is you know, the, the, post-mortem, the post-mortem details as encapsulated in the inquest report, I can't see on what basis the, the dullness of the knife was asserted. And also, I think the other thing we've got to bear in mind is if it were the same killer, it's the only occasion on which we can be fairly certain. I can't say absolutely certain, but it, I think it's if the five murders were by the same hand, it's the only one, it's the only case in which we can be fairly certain that the murderer was disturbed. Hmm. And so what I'm getting at is we, we, there's no way we can know how far into his sort of ghastly ministrations he was before he either heard Dean Schutz approaching or something else spooked him. Well, it would have been fairly, fairly soon because the, we're told the blood was still thro- flowing Ex- from the throat. Exactly. So exactly. the heart obviously hadn't stopped beating at that particular yeah. so, time. So what I'm, so, so what I'm yeah. saying is the, met- the methodology of the cut might be a little bit, suspect as a basis for asserting it's by a different hand if the circumstances were very different from the other murders in which he had full reign to actually inflict yes. The, yes, exactly. the injuries that he wanted to. Yes, I mean, it is, it is very worrying <coughs> that, that uh, whoever, whether it was the Ripper or not, uh, the fact that, that he has this apparently spontaneous uh, assault on, on somebody and then suddenly discovers that he's, he's being f- Got somebody walking up behind him, and another witness mm. just coming out of uh, 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 the pub or just coming around the corner. And if both of those yeah. witnesses then ran off, mm. he's left with the with the unenviable choice of now: do I just rush off, or do I do what I came yeah. to do, or, or kill her? And, and then I, I think also the fact: I mean, there must have been a hell of a noise coming from the club because they were still going full pelt. Yeah, and suddenly and, realised and also, that you're not a quiet lane. And also, although Dutfield's yard, although it was described as very dark, I mean, you know, there, there, 
there were properties at the back. It certainly wasn't a sort of blind cul-de-sac. Well, it was, it was mm. a cul-de-sac in, insofar as there, there wasn't an exit at the back, but it was, certainly wasn't untenanted. I mean, there, you know, there were other... It was, a, it was potentially a very dangerous... Um, as opposed to somewhere like Mitre Square, which was... Absolutely. When you look Absolutely. at it, I mean, there's just so many discrepancies and differences in strides. Whether the knife was dull, it was definitely shorter than the rest. There's no strangulation um, apparent on her. The location, as you've pointed out. And so when you look at all of these things together, it just it just appears, in my mind at least, to be a very different M.O., um, it appears to be a very different method of attack, and it appears when you add in a different weapon as well. You know, people who state categorically that you know Stride was absolutely a Ripper victim, I, I always wonder, you know, why that would be because they're just—I mean, whether she was, there's enough differences in the details to make it a serious question in my mind, at least. Oh, I certainly, yeah, I, I certainly, I certainly agree. There's a question over it, yeah. And I, th- I think as well. I mean, just just to run on what Chris said there, um, in, in in terms of the, the being spooked or the uh, the interruption hypothesis, hypothesis uh, the absence of mutilations does sort of rely on there being something odd having happened. Yeah, uh, either mm. Dean Shit's mm. turning up or, or 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 someone nipping out of the uh, working men's club for a pee, um, yeah, or, or, or something of that nature. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking, well, you know, in order for that to work, then uh, that interruption <laughs> must have occurred at the point where the killers just cut the throat, and you know, at that sort of split second. And yeah, you, you know, coincidences can happen. Um, we wouldn't be talking about a double event if, uh, you know, the, the premise of a coincidence didn't exist. But it does require some sort of Deus Ex Machina to come down and interrupt the whole shebang thing to suddenly decide, you know, sod this for a game of soldiers, I'm off. And that kind of goes with me a little bit. That and when you consider, and when you consider how quickly he was able to mutilate in very bad favored conditions, you know, poor lighting, poor whatever. Mm-hmm. When you look at how quickly he mutilated Edo's, and then you say, "Well, are you telling me, you know, he, he like you said, he got interrupted at that exact time where he didn't have a split second to do a single mutilation?" And so, you know, it's just it's one of those things. It 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 puts the question mark over it. Well, I, just I agree. To, just to I, agree. Back. I agree, but I think also I think also you've got to bear in mind it's not just a, a matter of um, straight logic because other sort of cases I've I've read about is there's also the unknowable um, situation which was his state of mind. In other words, um, I've read the only one I can recall, but I know I've read other cases. But the only one I can recall was Ed Kemper, and there but there have been other sort of killers who, for some inexplicable reason, have just let people go. They said it didn't feel right. You know, there, there, was, there was something in their psychology. I'm not saying that this is what the Ripper did, but if, if he was surrounded, he had this hullabaloo, he had, like, tenanted premises behind him, there were people obviously out in the street, and he, he might, if you'll pardon the awful pun, he might have just cut his losses or he might have cut and run. <laughs> Whether he was still actually there when Deem Shoots turned up, I think is unknowable. Um, I mean, the usual thesis is that he either heard the, you know, the pony or the, or the, the wheels of the, the cart coming down and, you know, realised that he was going to turn. But then you've got the problems of how did he escape before Deem Schutz could get down or whatever? Or was he actually hiding there while Deem Schutz first came in and struck the match and then went back into the club and then he made his escape? Um, I think all that's unknowable. And also, I just want to add in here that it's a possibility that 
uh, Stride struggled more than um, either of his other victims up to this, if, you know, playing devil's advocate here. Um, she's, aside from, I guess, Annie Chapman, who was reportedly heard to say no as she was falling against the fence at, 30, at 29 Hanbury Street, um, Schwartz did uh, say that Stride was audibly screaming. So it, it may have been that, would you guys agree that that could have been a possibility that maybe he was just getting, uh, that Stride was just putting up more of a fight on top of all these other um you know, uh, all these other things that Chris was saying about the crowd inside the International Mer- Working Men's Club and then Nim Schultz with his pony, you know, mm. it could have... It would all, all combine together to whoever the killer was, whether it was Jack or somebody else, uh, would have all combined together if, if, if he was conscious of it and made him think, well, let's get the hell out of the here. Yeah, that's um, that's my feeling. And if 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 the Ripper thought that, if the Ripper, then he just <coughs> disappeared, killed a woman mm. so that she couldn't identify him, and then ran away as quickly as he could. Yeah. That's an interesting point, though, Paul. Because uh, you know, at this point, uh, what, what have you got? If, whether it's the Ripper or not, if, if she decides to kill her or not, what's she going to do? She's going to say, "Oh, a man roughed me up in the street." You know, this is. Um, how old was she? Forty-five. Uh, this, this seasoned yeah. prostitute. Uh, is, is, she, is she really going to quibble about a bit of rough and tumble in the street? So that's that's what I, you know, the, the, there is an idea that oh yeah, I better silence her. But what did he have to lose at that point? It's unlikely that she'd even have reported him to the police. You know, Unless for, of course they they knew knew each other because there again seems to have been this spontaneity of attack. They're, according to Schwartz, they. Um, uh, he saw this, that the man walk up the street, stop, briefly exchange uh, a few words with, with the woman, mm. and then try to drag her into the street, throw her around, uh, and she ends up on the floor, and she's shouting out, screaming quietly. Uh, this doesn't altogether sound like she initially is, is, is thinking that this is a dangerous attack, and yet we've had two, two three uh, brutal murders within the last... You know, few few weeks. Uh, it must have gone okay. through her mind. If this was a strange. What, what in- S- yes, sorry, Paul. That, that is an interesting point. You know, did she know uh, her killer? I mean, this 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 could apply to both halves of the double event. But um, uh, certainly, in the case of Stride, uh, we know that um, uh, that she had uh, an allegedly abusive boyfriend, whom she'd reported to the police previously. Um, She'd apparently had a row with him that night, although he denied this at the inquest. Um, and all of a sudden, she's down in her old stomping ground because she used to live with um, uh, Michael Kidney, barely, what, 150 yards away in, in Devonshire Street in, in St. George's East. So she's, she's gone back to her old haunts this night, which kind of adds another sort of angle to the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Think- and as I, as I said in the Stride podcast, is that... Um, not to repeat myself, which I guess I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway, is that when you look at the fact that he thought nothing of padlocking her as a way of keeping her in line, um, and you mm. add that to all the other disparities, I'm, domestic violence is one of the leading killers of women at any time of history. Add that in, and you know you do have this other element of it's not like uh, there are no other plausible suspects in this case. 
But again, I think you've got to see that in the context of it. I mean, uh, to do something like that sounds shock, well, and is shocking now, you know, for a man to actually lock a woman in, you know, to um, in those circumstances. But you know, in in terms of its own period, would that have been considered as shocking as we think it it is now? Absolutely. I don't think. I mean. You know, we look at the Victorians and they seem like they're, you know, savage barbarians from long ago. But I don't really oh, think no, that's no, no. the case. And while, you no, know, no, while, neither do I. while women's rights are definitely not as advanced as they are today, I really don't think you were going to see the average man or woman, it, it, you know, if their daughter was being padlocked up, they're not going to go, oh, well, gee, that's just, you know, normal behavior. No, I mean, they're not going to look at that. They're going to recognize the fact that that's something outside the usual. I, I, I truly don't believe that would have been seen as acceptable and just, oh, business as usual. It, I'm not it, it might entirely not sure that I agree, uh, there because I have read, uh, I mean, it's not, not something that I can speak on with any degree of authority, but <laughs> I've read various accounts in... Uh, about women seemingly to it, uh, of that period, of, of course, uh, of accepting um, quite acts of, of, of what we would consider quite savage brutality as mm. being the norm. There are women who accept that now. I mean, there well, are indeed, women there are, yes. with their abusive husbands, and they accept it as completely normal. And when their husbands beat them up, they say, oh, well, he was just having a bad day, and they accept it as completely mm. normal. But does society at large accept that as completely normal? No, and I, I don't I, think... Yeah, but not I don't, our society, I, but if you, were, if you were back there in the East End living in Thrall Street where it happened... Yeah, exactly. ...to exactly. practically every woman you, down the to... street at one time or another, you may do. You've got to judge it in terms of, of somebody in Stride's situation, both both economic and social, and also living in that area. And, you know, they would live by the mores of that, not only of that time as a great general swathe, but, I mean, they would have their own, to us, very brutal morality within the East End. Mm. In fact, being locked into a room was probably, in the long run, uh, quite, quite a, a mild... Um Attempt I, I mean, to, to put, go, keep Elizabeth Stride in check. I mean, picking up on one thing that um, that Ali said about about Michael Kidney. I mean, I know, you know, some accounts, you know, Kidney is actually fingered as Stride's killer, and you know, the background about you know the the domestic domestic violence. And I think also one thing about Kidney, which is is odd, is that sort of very strange outburst of his at the inquest. When he 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 actually said that he that he had some information that could lead to the killer, but he wasn't going to tell them, mm. um, which I think is quite extraordinary. And I, I you know I've never I don't think that's um, sort of been satisfactorily explained. No, you know, it tends to get dismissed a little bit as just being a wild as, outburst, as doesn't it? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I mean, I, I think exactly I think he said he'd I been to the. Yeah. I think he said he'd been to the police and he was drunk and they sort of dismissed him and this, that and the other. And he, mm. he was basically saying, you know, if I were the police, I'd be ashamed and I, I've got information that could help, but I'm not going to give it to you. Yeah. yeah that doesn't, uh, doesn't Wynne Baxter sort of put him down? I can, I can just see the sort of withering look he might have given him. He, he says something yeah. like, then do I take it that you have nothing to, else to say? That's right. Which That's right. Kidney That's says, right. no, Your Honour, and it's kind of, right, let's move on then. Yeah. <laughs> Very, very course, I, I'm not sure what it would have been that he would have had in mind because uh, 
again, you come across people in these situations who are of the opinion that because they live in the area and they know the area and they know all the people concerned, that they are therefore in a better position than the policeman to, uh, to, to, to actually resolve a crime that's been committed in the area. And in some instances, of course, they're probably right. <laughs> they, they, they do actually have a, a better grasp of, of who may well have committed a, a, yeah. a crime. Uh, he, he just I've, I've just uh, on Casebook. It, it was just I, knew, I remember the wording was very old. Uh, Kidney said I, I could give information that would enable the detectives to discover the man at any time. And the coroner then said, "Then will you give us your information now?" Kidney said, "I told the inspector on duty at the police station that I could give information, provided he wouldn't let me have a young, strange detective to act on it." And then he repeated it. And what do you think should be inquired into? And Kidney said, I might have given information that would have led to a great deal if I had been provided with a strange young detective. I've never known what he meant by that. No. Or what a strange young detective is. (laughs) Well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's a very very odd thing to ask for. Yes. A stranger, I would assume he meant. um, Yeah. One who, yes. uh, Oh, a a police officer who wasn't well known in the area because Michael Kidney would have been afraid that he would have been spotted with a police officer. It was for his own personal protection. Or he needed to go into somewhere uh, with with a policeman, um, uh, but... If it had been one of the the local police, then uh, the people in that somewhere would have uh, would have probably recognised him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or, or or he felt that you know a local Bobby might be prejudiced against him yeah. uh, due to, due well, to that, past form. But he he does repeat that assertion like four times, right? You know, four four. Because he says at Lehman Street Police Station on Monday night, I asked for a detective to give information to get the man. And then he mm. says, as I, as I said, I could give information that would enable the detectives to discover the man at any time. Which, not wishing to, to go back to Kuzminski, but that is quite interesting for, uh, for Rob, I think, um, that, that he was uh, looking at the Harry Cox story, and yeah. the, the, if you remember. And uh, uh, again, there's the, the, the inference in the, in the Cox story that they had to adopt this subterfuge in order to be mm. able to... Uh, work effectively in that area, and so here again is, is somebody perhaps suggesting that uh, that suspicion is being directed at at a certain yeah. strata of the of the population. To yeah. paraphrase Anderson, but as you said, I mean the the um, did you say it was Lawenda who was or Lavenda who was um, called upon to try and identify Sadler? Yes, it was uh, it was Lavenda. Not, uh, he's not reported in the press by name, of course. He's it's just uh, referred to as being the, yeah. uh, the, the the mitre square. And 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 also, of course, he's one of the main contenders to be Anderson's witness. Uh, yes. Well, people. Uh, yes, very, people. Uh, the majority of people seem to seem to plump for Lavender to uh, be Anderson's yeah. witness. Because I've always uh, thought that I'm that never is quite a sure sort- why, but. No, because I think that's like an oblique way of saying really that they were sort of clutching at straws in a way. And because, of course, if they were sort of trying to establish any kind of link with the with the Coles murder, because I mean, by the time Coles was murdered, uh, Kosminski was already in custody. Uh, yes, indeed, and and had been. Well, that's that's the reason why I say that um, uh, that that it would have been uh, Kosminski was was the Schwartz was the witness because yeah. uh, at that. Anderson doesn't give us any reason to assume that any great interval separated the identification from no. 
from the committal. No. And so, therefore, as we know he was committed in, in February 1891, then, then obviously um, the identification has got to have taken place within uh, at least mm. at the beginning of January or, 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 or the end of December, during December uh, of yeah. 1890. And now they, they can't then go along and say, oh, excuse me, Mr. Uh, Mr. Schwartz, I know you positively identified that Jew the, mm. the other week, but do you think you made a mistake and could you come along and have a – I mean, you can, just can't. They couldn't do no, that. No. And just to get back, back just to just to get us back to the the double event, because there's two there's two things about the Schwartz thing that have always worried me. One is why, I mean, there I've I think there were more sightings uh, of Stride, you know, leading up to the time of her murder, certainly than any of the others. Mm. Um, I mean, she, you know, she was seen by quite a, a number of witnesses, including a, including a copper. Um, and some of those, I think, probably are stride. Some may not be. I, I always wonder why Schwartz's uh, testimony is seen as sort of gospel, and it's assumed that that was stride. Whereas, you know, question marks are raised about the others. And also, I think the the and, you know, I know it's been asked many times. It's not a new question, but I always wonder why Schwartz wasn't called at the inquest. Yeah, I, I mean, from my point of view, I don't think it's that his testimony is accepted as gospel. It's it is literally the fact that uh, you could have, I suppose, two entirely different women being attacked by different men or by the same man in the same place within 15 minutes. I mean, that, that's, that's yeah. not beyond the realms of, of, of possibility. But yeah. a, a more rational approach, I suppose, or, or uh, reasonable assumption mm. is, is that it was the same that, it was that Elizabeth Stride was the woman who, who uh, Schwartz saw attacked. So it's not so much his identification of the mm. body mm. that would be the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the factor in that. Yeah. It's just simply the, the improbabilities. Yeah. Um, what was the other point that you... Well, there, there, yes, there were two things. The, the two things have always puzzled me about the Schwartz. One was that when he said, um, you know, the other man who spoke, the... the, the Pipe man who said Lipsky, uh, what, yeah. know, whatever you t- take that to mean. Um, when he describes, I mean, he legged it, which is not at all, you know, I mean, that's entirely understandable. I probably would have done as well. But yeah. he, ran, he ran right past his own house, which I always found very old. And he says he ran down to the railway arch, which could have been one, or, one of two. But he ran, yeah. you know, right, right past, I think it was 22 Ellen Street he was living. Um, yeah. um, and also the main thing is, why, I've always wondered why he was never called at the inquest. If his if his testimony is considered so important, that's right. Well, he 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 wasn't. And um, now, uh, which author was it that speculated that maybe broad-shouldered man or pipe man, if not both, were subsequently identified by the police? Uh, that was me. <laughs> oh well. well. <laughs> what, a, what a good idea that was. Yeah, yeah. Never mind it. <laughs> but. Yeah, no, that that was just um, that was just a mental aberration. But there, there was a, <laughs> there was a newspaper report, I think, which which kind of um, well, certainly uh, in respect of indicated of, that that may have been a possibility. In, in, in I can't remember pipe. what it was now. <laughs> pipe man. In any case, I mean, there is a report that says that you know the, the second man is not suspected. Uh, I don't know well, which. That, that's why. That's the sort of uh, the, the newspaper report that I, I, yeah. uh, I speculated on. But um, yes, yeah, so I, I, 
it's uh, but on the on the point of the second man again uh Dave Yost um argues that uh, pipe man actually ran after schwartz and so both men therefore left the scene um which is so if, and if that were the case then um well, the man that schwartz saw is still the person who um was was the possible murderer uh, as for, as for the as for the lipsky thing um that's something that that's a bigger issue that we we could discuss as for him not being called uh he may well have been if he gave his testimony in camera but then of course the the woman who came to her door um and uh, and her you know stood at the door for a while and then heard the the measured tread of uh, the policeman going by mrs M- uh my memory is going today mrs mortimer i think is it funny mortimer yeah funny that's mortimer right. yeah um she didn't give testimony either and yet her testimony in many yeah. ways is as important as uh, as anybody else's albeit that she didn't see anything but the timing or best in Gardner, for that matter. Uh, I, yeah. I wouldn't say that their testimony was 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 as good. Uh, I've got some doubts about that. But yeah. um, you know, they didn't give uh, inquest testimony either. Yeah. So uh, yeah. this, I think, as, as as Chris, I think, said this this, or it might have been John. You know, this this murder was uh, was the one that had so many different people who claimed to have seen the deceased before she died. Yeah, yeah. but only a handful turned up at the inquest. Including Packer, of course, and uh, and all the problems that he uh, represents. Which reminds me, I'm, I must take my camera tomorrow and take a photograph of a of a shop that I pass every Monday, um, which uh, was was a, a in, in, it's now virtually derelict, but was a, a window shop similar to the sort that Packer used, and you don't see them much around anymore. Oh right, uh, where they got, serve you uh, through the window. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I vaguely remember them from the fifties. There were a, a few <coughs> then, um, and you'd stack all the vegetables in the, you know, in a, in a tier in the window, and you'd that's, serve that's... from inside the shop. But mm. uh, this one in particular is quite good because it's got a tile. It's, it's double double fronted, and it's got tiles underneath uh, both of the windows. And one would have been uh, is clearly doing fruit and veg, and the other window is doing wet fish. So. And where is where is this? That's in Maidstone. Oh, it's in Maidstone. Yeah, I have All to right. go past. I have to go somewhere on a Monday, and I have to go. I have to go past it, and I keep thinking every time I go past. Oh, I must take a photograph of that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, show it to anybody who is interested in looking to indicate what Packer's shop might have been like. And uh, it's it's also a, curiously, I, I was uh, for for um, other reasons was looking through uh, a book by a policeman called John Sweeney, who uh, I think it was written in about 1904. He was a metropolitan policeman, did a, a lot with uh, looking after anarchists and so forth, or investigating anarchists. Uh, and interestingly, when, when he's talking uh, about various types of shopkeepers, he actually um, refers to window sellers as, uh, as a category. Mm-hmm. Which was quite interesting, so... Mm-hmm. They were obviously distinguished from from other kinds of shopkeepers. Now, going back just a little bit, you had said that you had written in the the facts that it was a possibility that uh, Broad Children Man and Pipe Man, or or one of the two or both, had been identified by the police. Was that newspaper article uh, before the inquest or after the inquest, or do we know? 
Well, actually, I, I'm I, just thinking I if, that, if, if something like that could have affected the reason why Schwartz wasn't called to testify at the inquest, mm. is if the men that he had witnessed had been identified and um, and were cleared. Just, I think it's only, the, it's only the second man, I think, John, that the uh, – it may well have been the star um, said that you know, the second man is not suspected. Okay. Uh, and that might suggest that the police investigated pipe man at least – uh, well, I think so, somebody on the uh, on the casebook um, took pleasure in hauling me over the coals over that one, sir. Um, we'll draw a quiet veil over it <laughs> for the time being. But what we were and we've covered some of this ground on the Stride Victim Show, but um, and this this kind of goes back to some of what Ali was saying earlier is is that. Um, we, we don't know who Pipe Man was. I mean, if he was identified, it, this is just based on a press report, right? So we're not sh- mm. we're not sure. But if he was identified by the police and interviewed, uh, we hear nothing of what he could have seen that night. And it is kind of symptomatic of you guys were talking earlier about the the treatment of women in the late Victorian period by their husbands, and 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 I know I did touch on this on a previous podcast, but it's also the perception of the public when confronted with a domestic violence on the street which happened quite frequently their attitude was to uh, turn around and walk the other way as Schwartz did and as I, apparently if this police interview as reported to in the press with Pipe Man pans out then that's pretty much what Pipe Man did too so it's this ignoring um, this domestic dispute now whether that points to Kidney, you know, how familiar uh, he was of a person in the area. It's surprising that, that we, as Chris had said, that Stride, uh, her movements are, are well known up until her murder. But, it, but it's surprising that we don't know very much about, you know, the witnesses on the scene and, and exactly what they saw. And, and if Kidney would have been able to be identified if someone like Pipe Man came forward, that would discount her being a victim of Jack the Ripper if it was indeed her her boyfriend who her, who murdered her. Mm. Um, well, so. you know, I also want to clarify something, like, going back to what you said, like, you said you clarified, you said, you know, people would ignore domestic violence disputes on the streets um, as if it were particular to domestic violence and not just a general tendency. Like, I believe there was one podcast where you said, you know, if you came across somebody lying in the street, you turn and walk away. And I think there is a tendency overall for people to um, sort of ignore the unpleasantness, even today, and not want to get involved. You see a man and a woman fighting. There isn't really a huge tendency for people to rush up and intervene. Right. And it's also, you know, when we look at it, women were starting to get a lot more rights. They had marriage rights at in 1888 that they had not had even four years previously. Um, and, and when we look at society as a whole, yes. But you know, women didn't have a lot of rights, especially married women. But then we also have to include, you know, Stride was not a married woman, which means she had more rights that weren't granted just to, you know, married women did give up, but Stride was not a married woman. So she hadn't really given up any of her rights to kidney. So we can't really necessarily look at it as the typical scene. But also, if you look at like today's a modern American society, and we look at, say, the rights that are granted to gays, and 100 years from now, people look back at you know, they don't have proper, you know, they can't bequeath to their spouses what 
um, you know, they're not, they don't have the same rights as, say, heterosexual couples, then, say, 200 years from now, looking back on that, people are going to say, well, we were very oppressive to gays because of these sort of overall pictures. But when you look at the individual cases, yes, there's horrible examples of absolute you know, awful things happening to gay people. And there's horrible examples of, you know, gays getting their rights shafted. But when you look at it as an overall, is it on the every single day individual level? You know, I'm not going out beating up gay people. I think gay people should not be beaten up. And when you look at Victorian society, we look back and say, well, women didn't have this rights and women didn't have this rights and husbands could beat their wives and get away with it. And there's all this stuff. But does that really give you the day to day daily life picture of a person in Victorian society. And I just think there's the general tendency to focus on the negatives of a situation when we look back and we say, well, Victorian married women didn't have such and such right. Well, by 1888, they had more rights than they had in 1883 with the the Marriage Act. I can't remember exactly what happened. There was a Marriage Act passed. But there was that sort of gradually evolving social awareness of the rights of women that was much more predominant now and I would say is sort of comparable to what we are seeing in modern contemporary society with, you know, the rights of gays. I'm just trying to draw a parallel. I'm not saying that, you know, gays and women in Victorian England are facing a similar, you know, an exactly similar situation. But I'm just saying that when we look back, we tend to focus on the worst examples and not so much look at the individual, how were those lives carried out you know elizabeth stride left home on her own you know these aren't necessarily all of these women were not necessarily your typical cowed victorian woman they'd all left their husbands or or some sort of situation that they didn't particularly want themselves in so i don't think we can just sort of look at it as a whole and say well domestic violence would have just been accepted well what i was kind of getting at is is that it would I think there is a prevailing attitude uh, in the East End, if not everywhere in the late 1800s, in that women were still deemed as property of their husbands, and and so I think that if a uh, if a, a man was assaulting a woman on the street, and that that man was perceived by witnesses to be possibly the husband of the woman who is being assaulted. The public uh, would uh, more likely than not turn the other way. Yeah, uh, it wasn't just uh, domestics either, uh, John. In you know, in, in in connection with the the Mr. Broadshoulders abusing Liz Stride uh, scenario. I mean, the um, the neighbours in the streets, uh, Charles Letchford. Um, Mrs. Mortimer, they all referred to, you know, rows at the club, and, and it, was a, it was a troublesome place at times, but they never bothered, they never, you know, they never got involved. So, they, you know, the whole thing, um, it, it's just, you know, turn the other cheek, don't get involved, just walk, walk past and ignore what's going on. There was uh, a lot of, uh, of uh, trouble on the streets of the East End, and indeed... Um, on, on city streets all over Victorian Britain, which we don't actually hear a great deal about, um, particularly. But you've—I mean, we, we've all heard of the you know, the, the high rip uh, statement that or, originally that um, uh, police suspected that it was mm. a high rip type of gang. Now, the high rips were were, were a gang that um, we still don't act. They're still still 
debate whether they even ever existed, but uh, they were a Liverpool-based gang, if they did exist, um, who were distinguished in particular for the extraordinary uh, mindless violence that they, they indulged in. They killed somebody for a belt or something. I mean, it was just that they, they were extremely violent. But there were lots of other gangs... Um, who had different sorts uh, of names. Uh, the Peaky Blinders, for example, they, they used to wear peaked hats with, uh, with razor blades sewn into the, into the peak, hence their name, because they would slice you with their hat. There were gangs that would just walk down the street arm in arm uh, and force you off the pavement and into the street or, or indeed uh, you know, force you out of the street altogether if they were big enough. There were gangs that hung around outside shops and pubs and intimidated the customers, and so they were extorting money from, from the landlord of the pub. So there were all these different types of gangs, as well as large gangs and small gangs and individuals who were um, uh, robbing people in the street. There, there was um, one of either Cross or Paul uh, refers to Buck's Row as being a dangerous place, and that, uh, some, that there was a gang there, and if you they, they would throw you over the, uh, the, the wall uh, onto the, the railway embankment. Um, mm. White Row had its own gang, the White Row gang, just up uh, the, the neighbouring street to Dorset Street. If you remember Thomas Sadler, when he was, he was beaten up by, by a group of men and women and left in the street, and that, that was one of the reasons why he went off on his own uh, afterwards. And, uh, and Francis, because he, he was upset that Francis Coles didn't didn't come to his assistance, but afterwards realised that uh, the people who had done it would have gone after her because they they would have known who she was if she'd if she'd grasped grasped mm-hmm. them up. So there are lots of reasons why somebody like Schwartz would would have run away, assuming that that, that he knew anything about these things, being a, a fairly, as far as we're aware, recently arrived Hungarian immigrant. I, I think you can get a measure of the you know the lengths they would have gone to by you know the Emma Smith murder. Well, exactly. Yes, I mean that that was. Um, Which was I was trying brutal. to avoid that. <laughs> in a, yes, assuming it was a gang, because we only have her word for it. But there, there's lots of yeah. factors about yeah. Emma Smith that really could do with being mm. explored in, in far greater depth. Um, I think also there was there was I, I, there was there was probably. Sorry. I was just going to go off on a tangent and talk about Emma Smith, but that, and get, so no, Chris, you go on and. Uh, let's, let's stick I, to I was the just going to say, keep, <laughs> sort of keeping. Well, keeping to the, the the double event, I think there was like um, apart from these more, you know, the the, the very brutal cases like Emma Elizabeth Smith, um, I think there was probably a, a a sort of lower level of almost casual violence, which would probably almost never be reported. Um, I mean, even even Eddowes, who was seen, I think, is seen generally as one of the sort of least troubled of the of the victims i mean she she seems quite a sort of happy soul very attractive personality from all accounts but um i think it's when she was in custody she, i mean she said you know uh, i'm going to get a hiding when i get home that's right damn fine as hiding as though it was sort of, as though it was a sort of run of the mill thing and the police almost um joked about it and said you know so you should you shouldn't drink so much well and again you know I, I will say that by 1888, women were no longer the legal property of their husbands. Um, whether the passing of the Marriage Act had had enough time to permeate the collective consciousness of the men, uh, I think it was only something like five years old at the time. 
Um, I doubt it had changed societal perception very much. But I mean, I constantly refer to the fact that, oh, you know, if I do such and such, Stephen's going to kick my ass. Well, does anyone actually think that's going to occur? <laughs> you know? Yes, all and- the time, Ali. I'm, 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 <laughs> we all know what a retiring wallflower you are and that that would happen. I know. I'm shamefully <laughs> abused. Um, but uh, so, you know, these kind of casual comments, uh, you know, and again, and people say the same thing to me. Well, you deserve it. And well, yes, I do, but it's not going to happen. So, um, you know, I, I don't really take that as, as, as any example and i'm sure that casual violence was was rampant i really do in in any society including our own um but i just you know it it just goes to this what do we perceive versus being what is true and 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 there are so many examples of really liberated women even in victorian times that i think you know sort of the the old you know we look back at the olden days and and we have our own sort of uh you know, uh, idea about it. But really, if you thought that Edo's husband was going to beat her up, most really abused women aren't going to be out drinking all night knowing it's going to give them trouble when they get home. Really, really, and I'm quoting here, you know, really abused women uh, tend to do whatever they possibly can to keep themselves from getting that hiding. And they sort of tread that very careful, um, that careful line. So, you know, I sort of view her comments in that regard as, as sort of being my own. It's like, Oh, I've gone out. I've gotten in a little bit of trouble dancing all night. But she said that to a police officer. And, and if you want to look at the societal changes, um, if, if a woman was released from jail today and she had said to the arresting officer who was letting her go that when I get home, my husband's going to beat me. Um, the reaction of the police officer may not be so happy-go-lucky as was in the case of Catherine Eddowes. I don't know. I think Ali, Ali has I a think, very valid point there. That, um, I think it, it depends, depends how she says it. Yeah, I was just going to say it depends on what the actors call the reading, how, how, it's, how it's said. And, I mean, if she said that with a smile on her face or something, then um, the, the, the entire thing could have been completely different from we, the way yeah, that we, we're, we, I think we can, we're reading. We can be too... We can't be too literal. I mean, you know, I mean, she could have said, as, as I think people would still say today, you know, you know, when my husband finds out about this, he's going to kill me. Now, we don't mean that right. literally. Right. But there, figure, there, so- there nevertheless is a, 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 a general desire, and, and today there are lots of other factors that you've got to take into consideration, such as the, uh, the attacker being on drugs and, uh, and, and not acting rationally. But... Um, you know, the, the, the situation is is that there, there was a lot of violence going on, and even yeah. today, you would seek to avoid uh, getting involved. Um, I think it was uh, it's only likely to be if something was getting out of hand that, that, that you might uh, seek to intervene if, uh, if, if, a, if, if a row was going on in a pub between a, between a man and a woman, and it looked as if it was going to get violent or something. That uh, you might might say something, or that the, you'd ha- you'd have to get the, the bar staff or something to say something. Now, um, despite all the, the violence in the East End and in other places, as Paul uh, was illustrating, um, nevertheless, from the get-go, the press, especially and the police, linked these two murders. We we look at back back at this today, some of us, and say, oh well, it seems like a different knife was used, and and. Um, and maybe it was just a coincidence that uh, Elizabeth Stride was attacked and her neck was cut at the same night that Catherine Eddowes was attacked. 
um, and we say how violent the whole neighborhood was. Um, but um, the press and, and the police uh, connected these two crimes right away, saying this has to be the work of the same individual. It was even quicker than that, John, because it, was it um, uh, Kozibrodsky? Uh, when he ran to find a, a, a policeman, when he eventually found the policeman, said, uh, come quickly, there's been another murder. Yeah? Right, linking it back to the murder of Annie yeah, Chapman. Yeah, it was even then the emissary from the, the, the International Working Men's Club uh, had made that connection already uh, and said, another murder, come quickly. Yeah? And then later, right. you know, PC Watkins was to do the same in Mitre Square. Um, yeah. I don't think anybody has... Uh, well, done because there's there's I'll just preface what I was about to say there there are lots and lots of areas of um, of study here that we really are lacking information and I think uh, one instance would be the number of uh, of murders that were committed uh, at that time and so how how frequent was a murder in the east end of London bearing in mind that um, we would have to distinguish between what would be a murder then and and what would be a murder today because um, it has been pointed out by by various experts that a fight which um, resulted in fatal injuries then and which might uh, be be classified as murder would possibly not result in in fatal injuries today because the person would be able to get to hospital quicker, um, treatment would be better, and so on and so forth. So the survival rate would be higher. But specific murders in the sense of of, um, of Jack the Ripper, how, how frequent were they? We have domestic murders that are committed indoors by a husband on a wife or vice versa. But uh, but street crimes overall, how, how frequently would, would, would anybody encounter these sort of murders? So therefore, if you have a street murder... Uh, and there's a series of street murders in progress, then you would automatically assume that it was by the same hand, is what I'm trying yeah. to drive at. It's, it's, it's a very valid point. And, and uh, again, um, uh, there's uh, evidence at the time from, from, from various sort of historical sources, or hysterical sources even, that I've read, um, <laughs> which suggests that uh, you know, the crime of assault back then hit a multitude of different sins. Uh, and, and, you know, it's only a fine line between assaulting somebody with a knife and killing somebody with a knife, if you see what I mean, if you just, yes. just happen to have a knife on your person. So uh, it's not just the background murders we need to take into consideration, but the background uh, uh, noise, if you like, of, of general assaults in the, uh, in the streets in those days. And I suspect, although I've got no um, tangible evidence for this, but I suspect that the amount of assaults that came very close to uh, taking somebody's life would have been rather high. Yes. Taking all, all the other factors into account. But I just wonder how, how often it was something that was encountered in the street. I mean, if somebody had, in mm. fact, come across... Within 1888, if, if... Let's make a bold assumption here that... that uh, or or fantasise for a moment, rather, that, uh, that Emma Smith had actually been found in the street and it, instead of actually making it back to, the, to a lodging house... Within a relatively short period in 1888, you'd have, you'd have found Emma Smith on the streets, you'd have found Martha Tabram and the rest of the, uh, the canonical five. Uh, how unusual was that? Because that, when, we, when we start to look at uh, a bit later on, I mean, there, there seems to be quite a bit going on. You've got, you've got the dismemberment murders and the stuff being dumped, bodies, parts being dumped in the Thames and in the, uh, 
the foundations of the New Scotland Yard building. And then you, you have all the subsequent, um, uh, the, you know, right, right up to Francis Coles. There would seem to be quite a lot of, uh, of, of fairly serious crimes being committed around and about. And I just wonder, uh, but nevertheless, I wonder how common it would have been to have come across a dead body in the street. Because yep. there were a lot of people who died from malnutrition. You get all of those reports as well of, uh, mm. of, of people being found dead in, in the street from, from natural causes as well. So maybe it was a bit more common, <laughs> but not with a throat cut, of course. And uh, so. Chris would know from doing the Whitechapel Infirmary records that a lot of women were found dead in the street um, mm. who would show up at the infirmary dead. Yeah, and a lot just thing is, if, and, and young kids as well. It was quite... Mm. Because if you if you don't if it's if it's fairly fairly common to to, to find a, somebody murdered in the street, uh, then it's difficult to explain why people would have connected Stride and Dedos. But if it was if it was fairly rare, and you have a serial killer about, then you would have made that assumption. And perhaps we shouldn't read too much in that assumption being made at the time. Uh, that the crimes were committed. Well, especially if, you know, in, in, in a sudden uh, moment of madness, um, someone reaches for a knife in their pocket and, you know, does for somebody. Uh, yeah. I mean, That's what, what I'm saying, how frequent be, was that? Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. what I'm trying I to say is, that, is, is, it, is, yeah, is that if it, if it was uncommon, then you'd say there's been another murder. I mean, it's obviously another murder because... Uh, uh, she'd had a throat cut, so it wasn't necessarily suicide or something. I, th- I think also there's this, um, going back to what sort of Ali was saying about the Victorian mindset, I think that spills over into the um, the sort of interesting, um, once the murders were in full swing, um, as the, because they there was obviously far less experience of serial killers as such and all the you know the modern paraphernalia of profiling and case histories to look at and so on um what what strikes me is um how they were continuing what seemed to um badger the most was lack of motive and there was all this they, they kept trying to assign a logical motive i think this was you know partly behind the the American after specimens for his book, you know, that was a, albeit very twisted one, you know, as a logical motive, or he must be a religious maniac trying to clean the streets. Or, you know, I think the twisted psychology and trying to get into the sort of mindset of somebody who was committing these murders, I think was probably so new. And, um, I mean, psychology was still a very young Mm. science. Um, And there's this sort of eternal... Search, you know, not so much who is this, but why is he doing it? You know, what is the motive? That seemed to be think, over. Yeah, and I it was self. A... Well, and are you saying, Chris, that maybe the the that could tie into the, the connection between the two cases that um that the they were at the time oh, yes, uh, yes, obsessed yes. with the psychology yes, behind yes. the killer. So, so as soon as another think, murder occurred, they, they said, "Oh, here is another one." Yes. just be, just to build on their the the profile to use a lame um, I think were of, I think of they what were their try- ideas were yeah i think they were trying to assign a, a logical rather than a psychological motive you could you could say the religious maniac is a sort of particular 
psychological mindset. But I think if you're trying to look for a a logical motive, if if you get to um, when you look at the great scheme of the Ripper murders, you could argue that that the Eddowes and Stride cases are markedly dissimilar. But um, I think also there are obvious similarities. You know, they are they are they are women of the street who are found murdered on the street both with the throat cut. I know Eddowes was extensively mutilated and, and Stride wasn't, and we, we talked about that earlier. But I think, you know, the fact that one was found 45 minutes after the other within walking distance, and you then get the, the almost immediate assumption that the, you know, the killer's been not only disturbed and had to flee the scene of the Stride um, killing, but you know he's in full bloodlust. His his bloodlust is unslaked, and therefore he has to go off and seek another victim. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, if your theory uh, back then, let's say, if your pet theory was that oh, this is the work of relig- a religious maniac, then yeah. and then an, uh, um, then a murder would occur. You would immediately link that murder to your religious maniac and think, oh well, well, why, why did he do it this time? And what's he, you know kind of like uh, throwing all the victims into one big basket um, yeah. to, to uh, justify, you know, to, to try to work, work out the psychology behind your, your theory yeah. of who the murderer was. I mean, was. If, if, if you looked that upon the... the kind of way that the police worked back then, though. Um, yes, it's, yes. Is that the, the concept that they had, uh, I mean, it simplifies it down a little bit, but they would look at the MO and they would say, well, who do we know who commits crimes... Like this, yes. And then they they would uh, where they they'd get their list and they say, well, he's in prison, he's he's dead, um, and and then question the ones that were remaining um, and yeah. and test their alibis, mm-hmm. and that was the way effectively that uh, that that the policemen worked back then. Mm. So by trying to assign a common uh, motive uh, to 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 each of them would have. You know, would have been the way that they, they they probably would have worked. Yeah. Now, if we um, this is for this for the moment, uh, say that Stride was uh, murdered by someone other than Eddowes, um, and and I'm kind of I'm kind of directing this. I am directing this towards you, kind of Gareth. Um, if we assume that Stride was killed by someone. Um, uh, who was not the murderer of Catherine Eddowes, do we still believe that that person was dis- was disturbed uh, by uh, by the horse horse and cart coming into the um, into the gate or or do we think that 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 was the, just the culmination of the attack um, yeah I, I, think, I think that was it I think uh, if you know in, in that scenario uh, then uh, Whoever wanted Stride, or whoever killed Stride, I suspect may have wanted her dead for one reason or another. It might have been a fit of jealous rage. Um, it might have been, you know, the jilted John hypothesis, uh, where um, I don't quite see that because, uh, you know, certain witness testimony apart, uh, Duckfield's Yard doesn't strike me as, 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 as you know, a particularly um, prostitute-friendly venue anyway. Um, so it, it, it could well be that it was either an old flame. Like I say, she was down in the uh, old stamping ground there in St. George's East. Uh, it may well have been, you know, a vengeful kidney uh, who uh, 
I mean, the thing about Stride was uh, she'd left her lodging house. She had money in her pocket. So, you know, to that extent, she differs from the other canonical victims in that she left her her lodgings of her own free will uh, with money, entrusting some valuables, uh, a Bible and a piece of cloth, you know, God help her, to to a friend of hers, and then set up for the night, evidently. which may have meant that she was going on some sort of um, secret tryst somewhere or maybe visiting some old friends, whatever. Now, it doesn't take too much of a genius of a jealous husband or jealous common-law husband to work out, you know, where she bloody gone this time. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's that scenario. So, sorry, to come back to your question, John, um, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was job done. Um, you know, get out of there. He was probably gone five, ten minutes maybe before... Dean Schutz arrived, assuming that the uh, the Schwartz testimony is broadly correct in terms of time. It wouldn't have taken long to to to, to get rid of her, so to speak, and and, and run run away from there. Right. Um, I brought that up because hadn't you written Gareth uh, and Ripperologists? Correct me if I'm getting it wrong, but that uh, there was a possibility that Eddowes, the Eddowes killer, was disturbed uh, by uh, the uh, the PC. Um, or at least he he um, didn't have the time to to do uh, what he had intended to do, um, and and so I was just bringing that up to to make the point that well uh, would were were they disturbed in their their acts on two separate occasions two different you know two different people who uh, didn't get to finish the job or you know one person who didn't get to finish what he had intended to do both times that night you know. Yeah. That's actually a very interesting point that the, that um, perhaps the, the 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 murder, if it was one and the same person, was was, was basically rattled and wasn't uh, in the case of Eddowes as uh, as calm as uh, he may have been in the case of of Nichols and Chapman. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a good point, Johnny. I, I, I think you were sort of asking me to be consistent, which is which is fair enough. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't see why. I mean, the, the difference being, of course, uh, if we take the Ripper uh, killed Stride as as as, as a, a starting point, then he gets interrupted just at the point where. Not even uh, before he starts any mutilation, not even before he even starts to prepare the body, i.e. by lifting the skirt for any mutilation. Uh, but as the knife is halfway around her neck, okay, let's, I'll, I'll buy that. Um, so he gets, he gets interrupted there. At least in Mitre Square, uh, he's, he's done a significant amount of damage. He's taken four or five minutes, yeah, maybe a little longer, maybe a little less, and he's done considerable damage already. Um, when PC Watkins uh, starts crunching up the cobblestones, so it's, it's, it's if you like it, it, it could well have been an interruption. It might well have been PC Harvey coming the other way down into Church pas- Passage that spooked him. Who knows? Uh, but 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 either way, um, he's had time with Eddowes, uh, right? Which isn't quite the same as being interrupted, you know, in the act, so to speak, uh, to the extent that Stride as a Ripper victim would have been. Right, but it does um, it, it does mess with the idea that this was an escalation of murders over a course of time, where as opposed to just always being interrupted in what he ultimately wanted to do, which would 
be Mary Kelly, which we would see in the murder of Mary Kelly, that this killer was constantly interrupted um, as opposed to, you know, uh, escalating his level of violence. Yeah, and, and, you know, there, there is still an escalation. But, you know, what I said in Ripperologist was that I wouldn't be surprised uh, if given the time uh, available um, or, or given a little more time uh, uh, available in, in Mitre Square that we wouldn't have seen something more akin to the Kelly murder. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to suggest that, you know, the, the Ripper was the, the sort of coitus interruptus type killer who kept getting frustrated until he worked out that it might be a good idea to kill somebody indoors for a change. Um, but there's, you know, there's, there's still an escalation there, uh, taking straight out, out, out of the equation uh, for the moment between, uh, you know, Nichols, Chapman, Eddowes. Um, and he is getting more and more daring, quote unquote, in, in, in what he does. Which, again, makes it difficult to quantify uh, a ripper being sort of particularly miffed in Dutfield's yard. Can I, can I just ask something? On the, the, the basis of this scenario of Stride going, you know, to... You say she had money and was maybe going to see friends or something. Hmm. Um, this sort of multiple witnesses who claim to have seen her over a period of about... or certainly in excess of an hour. Hmm. I, think, I think the first sighting was... Um, about quarter to twelve, I think that was William Marshall. Now, I think there were three, certainly three or four. Well, if you include Schwartz, four or five witnesses who claimed to have seen her. Um, do you think, though, all those sightings were um, stride? Um, I mean, in which case, you know, why was she sort of hanging about the street with presumably different men for certainly well in excess of an hour? Yeah, that, you know, that, that, that is an interesting point. I mean, the. The question is whether they were different men. I mean, uh, the, the problem is that each of the witnesses comes up with, again, slightly different, you yeah. know, variations on a theme. So it's it's hard to tell a whether whether uh, it was Stride and, and b whether it was the same or a different man each time. Mm. Um, uh, did, didn't Marshall say uh, that Marshall was the guy who said that she didn't have the flower in her jacket at the time? Was it? The first one, I think it was. He was the chap who lived in Burns Street. It's either him or James Brown. I can't remember. Um, I, I think I think it was Marshall. He's the one who lives on Burner Street. Uh, J- James Brown, the coroner said, "Did you notice any flower in her dress?" And Brown said, "No." Marshall was the one who lived very close by. He actually lived in Burner Street. Yeah, yeah. So he did. Yeah. So, um, but Ma- Marshall, uh, and you're right. This was quarter to twelve. Yeah. Um, and Marshall said she did not have the flower in her. Uh, lapel, then. So you know, is, is yes, this thing right. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, he did. So, is this Stride, or, 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 or did Stride go and get a flow from yet another man? I mean, this is one hell of a mobile sort of pub crawl type gangbang yeah. going on. Yeah. Um, if, if it was the same woman, especially if you take Best and Gardner, you know, in the Bricklayer's Arms, at whenever it was, uh, mm. eleven o'clock. Um, uh, with this very polite sort of chap, and they, they they tease her that you know she's with leather apron, ha ha ha. Um, so it's not only a number of different witnesses, but it's a number of different men, and, and possibly, you know, a number of different women that they saw. I think, if I remember rightly, the, one of the most definite was the the copper who saw her at about was it about half past twelve? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. he he actually said quite specifically that he you know he saw her face closely. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's um, the one that Swanson uh, measures against uh, Schwartz's description, isn't it? Yes. 
trying to remember his name. P.C. Smith. Smith, that's right. Between 12.30 and 12.35. Wasn't it, was, uh, was that the one where he said they were standing on the corner by the board school? Uh, no, I think that was... Actually, you know, I can't remember. It's so. interesting. Uh, Martin Fido uh, raises a point in, in his uh, book, The Crimes, Detection and Death of Jack the Ripper, where he is explaining the reasons why he concluded that uh, Kosminski was Anderson's suspect. And uh, um, he, he says that, uh, that McNaughton uh, seems to know about the identification of Kosminski because he refers to um, the, uh, uh, a, a police, the city PC having, uh, having seen uh, of Kosminski resembling a man seen by a city PC. If you, do you remember that, that yeah. statement yeah. Uh, in McNaughton? Um, and, of course, I suggest in the facts that, that, um, that McNaughton was confusing the two events because he refers to the murderer in Burner Street being disturbed by the arrival of three Jews in a horse and cart, whereas, yeah. in fact, the three Jews were the three Lavender, uh, yeah. Levy and Harris. In which case the city PC would in fact have been PC Smith if, if you reversed the, the two events round. Is this, was this a bit when he said in his notes and no one ever had a clear view of the killer? Yeah, except and it, maybe... Ex- um, except, yeah, for the, the city PC. That's right, at, yeah. At Mitre Square. Yeah, but if there, yeah. But, but there wasn't... There, well, at least if there was, we don't know about it. There, there was no city no. PC. But we do have a, a Met PC who saw... Uh, or you know, so store stride with uh, with a man in Burner Street, Smith. So yeah. yeah. So was that yeah. the was, was that the city? You know, inverted commas. The city PC did did um, McNaughton confuse the two locations. But what's interesting with that is that I I wonder whether the the city PC in that respect, uh, who, who or whichever it was, was it just that that his that, that he gave a description that fitted a written description. Or was he actually confronted with the suspect and said, yep, that looks like the man I saw? Which raises all sorts of questions, of course, when you start to go back to the Kosminski thing and the eyewitness identification. Yeah, because his description's pretty vague, isn't it? He says he had no whiskers, but I didn't notice him much. I should, yeah. say, he was, I should say he was 28 years of age, of respectable appearance. That's right. Um, about five foot seven. Um, That's right. Dark cutaway dark. coat. Dark yeah, clothes, dark, dark felt deer stalker, respectable right. appearance. Yeah, but it it raises that point. I mean, how how did the, whoever this this PC was, whether it's a city PC that we don't know anything about, or was a Met PC PC Smith? Um, as I say, would would he have compared his description against uh, the description of Kosminski, or or whoever it may have been, or would he have uh, been confronted? With somebody with, with that suspect, okay, in which case we have two eyewitnesses. Um, I'd, I'd like to uh, touch on one other thing before we wrap up this podcast, and that's and we did discuss it on, on a show, uh, on the letters show, but that's that um, two Ripper letters uh, seemingly refer to this double event. Not well, one of them specifically refers to the double event, but the one preceding the the double event makes reference to. 
I'll try to clip her ears off and, and send it to the police, which in the case of Catherine Eddowes, one of her earlobes had been clipped off. There's some interesting timing there as to when the writer of that letter could have gotten the information in, an, in time to, to post the postcard to have it be received. Mm. Um, would, would, Paul, would you comment on that a little bit for our listeners? I don't, uh, I don't get involved into, in, in the timing factor, partly because I can't remember it, but, uh, well, not partly, but completely because I can't remember, remember the details <laughs> of the timing. But there's, there's, it's certainly argued that uh, the information could have been known possibly or more, more than likely to, to a journalist um, early enough for him to have been able to write the postcard and mail it um, and... Uh, and and so forth. Otherwise, obviously, it, it's, it, it would just be, you'd have to put it down to either coincidence or, or certain knowledge, and that it did therefore come from the murderer. Um, but the, but yes, I mean, it's, it's the letters are, are a particularly difficult uh, area to, to, uh, to investigate, and um, made them also, of course, by the 17th of September letter, which we don't want to go into, but... Um, but in the September twenty seventh letter, that's the dear boss letter. Dear yeah. boss, yeah. Um, is that um, just a coincidence then? Well, believe? it's it's thought to be uh, that the if I, Gareth would probably be able to do it to to say more than I can. Um, but it, it I, I seem to remember that it was rather thought that the the low being cut off or, or uh, partly cut was just um, an accident with the knife. That it didn't didn't appear to be a deliberate attempt to, to clip off the ear because what wasn't it still attached and then it fell off or it, 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 it fell into the clothing the, 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 no, uh, Edo's, right. Edo's nose was still attached uh, if, yeah. if we believe PC Watkins statement to the press um, where it was sort of sliced off and laid over onto the other cheek which doesn't appear in the inquest, but um, it, it appears in, in some of the more lurid uh, newspaper accounts <laughs> um, but yeah the, the, the yellow had uh, had, had been cut um, quite probably, uh, you know, coincidentally to all the other slashing that was going on across Edo's yeah. face at the time, um, and that uh, when they undressed the body at the mortuary, I think it was the uh, the piece of missing yellow fell out of a fold in in her garments. Mm. Yes, um, that's right. So. But that that wouldn't given given that Edo's wasn't uh, taken to the mortuary until about half past two. But was it half past two? So we, uh, yeah, I don't know that time. Um, um, then the, um, the the actual sort of carrying out of that threat wouldn't have been known. Of course, what happens in the saucy Jackie uh, postcard is he says, uh, had not got time to get ears for police. Mm. Uh, now, if he'd known that a piece of the ear had actually been cut off, then I'm sure he'd have alluded to that in the postcard. Uh, but that wasn't known until the body was was being uh, attended to in the, in, in the mortuary, mortuary by you know Brown and Sakira and whoever else were there at the time. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, my sort of interpretation of that is, or you know, a plausible scenario would be, uh, an early morning journalist gets wind of some of the news, uh, quickly pens saucy Jack in post uh, before uh, we know that the earlobe had actually been cut. Mm. 
Yeah, so it's probably in the early hours of the 30th of September or whatever that, that, that uh, or in the morning at least, um, that that letter would have been drafted and then it ends up in the post on the 1st of October, doesn't it? Well, of course, um, if in the event that uh, the letters <coughs> happen to be genuine, uh, then the murderer clearly wouldn't have had an opportunity to, to cut off the ear because so slicing off a bit of the, the earlobe is... It's not exactly slicing off the ear, is it? It's uh, true. Know, true. If he didn't know he'd done it, then he would have said, "Sorry, I didn't get a chance to get the ears." Hmm. But then, when it, given everything else that he did, one would have to to wonder why he didn't get the chance. If that was a specific intention, um, yes. then which he'd promised to do in one letter, yeah, uh, then then presumably he would have made the effort to do that. Yeah. Well, so I, I, that, I think. I think that kills the idea dead, doesn't it? I mean, if you can be bothered to go and find a kidney uh, and a womb, <laughs> yes, and, and, and not two projections sticking out of the head of the victim, which <laughs> would be right. fairly, uh, fairly, you know, easily done, uh, then um, it, it weren't the ripper what wrote it. That's right. So I think that's I think, fairly... I, th- I think also two things about the second communication is, you know, why was it a postcard, not a letter? And secondly, why wasn't it dated? Mark, you, if the thing had, uh, if, if, if the reference to the ears in both cases uh, suggests the same author, then that would be, you know, not being dated and all the rest of it is, uh, and being a postcard is, is kind of irrelevant. But if the postcard was written by somebody other than the original author of Dear Boss, I, I then think you're, I th- you're, you're opening up no. a number of interesting questions well, the reason here. The- the reason I mentioned the postcard format rather than letter was, you know, going along from Gareth's scenario of uh, somebody sort of getting details and wanting to get something in the post quickly. Mm. Well, of course, why it's not dated would be that uh, it was written in advance. So the journalist was just waiting for a murder to be committed and then he dropped it in the letterbox, trusting to luck, of course, that the ear wasn't actually taken off. <laughs> Yeah, imagine his dismay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the real murderer writes two letters, (laughs) which are both dismissed as being journalistic hoaxes because he... Yeah. He forgot, yeah. Yes. I must admit, that's always fascinating. I did did mention it on the boards once. If if you accept, which um, I certainly do, that, that none of the letters were from the actual killer, you know, just from a sort of psychological point of view, I wonder how what his reaction was to the letters. If he was aware of them, because, of course, if he, was, if he did, couldn't read, then he wouldn't be reading the newspapers and uh, yeah. perhaps wouldn't have that degree of detail or that degree of understanding. It depends. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yes, I, I mean, there are some letters, where one in particular, where, where he says, uh, you know, I did not commit that particular murder. I... Um, one, that's an interesting letter in itself because yes, it, obviously yes, if it didn't come from yes. the murderer, why somebody's why would somebody try to write that one? You get all these kind yeah. of strange permutations about motive yeah. of people doing things. But of course they were yeah. all written by uh, by Sickert, weren't they? Of course. <laughs> of course. Or Lewis Carroll. Or Lewis Carroll. Yes. Yes. Or uh, or anybody else really. <laughs> but it is it is quite interesting. I mean, I, I 
as I said, I, I think uh, all the letters. There, there are a, a, a few letters there that that are psychologically quite interesting in their in their own in their own right. Yeah. Can, can can somebody answer a question for me? Because I've seen so many estimates, and this is like fairly crucial to the double event. Um, how long would it take to walk from Berner Street to Mitre Square? Uh, I had read like uh, as few as ten minutes. Yeah, well, I've I've read estimates ranging from eight minutes to over twenty minutes. Well, having done it. Um... I can say that it's probably between 10 to 15 minutes. Right. However, we've got to bear in mind that Victorians were far more used to walking than we are. Uh, and so, therefore, um, they would have, uh, you know, perhaps been, been, their stamina would have been greater yeah. or they, they would have... Yeah. Right. Also, and if, if he was hurrying away from Burner Street, then he, we don't know how long he kept a, a swift pace, you know. Of course, the other thing is... He wasn't strolling down the street after... No. Yeah. That's one of the worrying we, things about, about the Mitre Square murder as well, um, and not so much Burner Street, but uh, in terms of uh, making... Uh, Get, getting the distance um, is that he comes perilously close to, to, to Lehman Street, and if the body of Elizabeth Stride was discovered, um, and he knew that the body had been discovered only, uh, you know, almost the same time as he made his escape from from Burner Street, then uh, police would have been summoned. It, it raises the question as to whether or not he would have taken the main. Main yes. thoroughfares, and whether he'd have stuck to the back streets to to avoid uh, coming into contact with with police, who presumably would have been heading towards, or he would have anticipated quite rightly, would have been heading towards Burner Street from all directions. Mm. Uh, it, it's interesting that I think that kind of has a bearing on whether or not he would would quite calmly have gone into Mitre Square and then murdered Eddowes, and it would also have a bearing on how he made his escape away from Burner Street, because, again, he would have wanted to avoid the main, the main arteries, and he would have had to have crossed um, some of those main, main roads uh, at well, some the, point the, as, as he made his escape. There is that sighting of the man in uh, Church Lane. Was it Church Lane? Yeah. You're cleaning his knife. Um, so, uh, which which would suggest a route. I mean, taking your let's avoid Lehman Street at all costs scenario, Paul, into account. Mm. Um, you know, he, he probably went up um, towards Commercial Road, um, and then up into into Church uh, Lane uh, to mm. clean his life, maybe. Well, he um, would have. Yes, I mean, he would have been been taking risks uh, in crossing Commercial Road and and uh, and so forth. But also, of course, he, we know he. Well, we assume, unless we want to go down the road of uh, of dogs, cats, rats, or whatever, taking the apron away, uh, we we know that he he actually cleaned his knife probably on that piece of apron, which he then mm. discarded in in Goulston Street. So mm. he would appear in that case. Uh, he's he's going to be heading if 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 he went into Goulston Street, depending on if he's going to the corner of Goulston Street and it. Uh, and Middlesex Street, then he's certainly heading into into some main main roads in that area. And if he went in the opposite direction, then he's heading back up to Whitechapel Road and almost opposite Lehman Street again. So he's heading into trouble that way. 
Yeah. But if, apart from anything else, the, the thing is, is that uh, it was the, ex- the the possible expectation that policemen would have been pouring from Commercial Commercial Road, Nick, and from Lehman Street uh, to to get to to Burner Street that mm. might have dictated the time available to him to have gotten to to Mitre Square. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even if uh, even if the quick route that we could do today, to, even if it took fifteen minutes at a at a fair pace. Mm. Um, the streets would have been quieter. It was late at night. They weren't. You wouldn't have to have been stopping to to cross the road to avoid cars and everything. Mm. But if he was going by back streets, it might have taken a bit longer. Yeah. So it could, so it could have, sorry, Chris, go on. That's all right. I was just saying. So it could have been nearer twenty minutes. Especially if if he was Irish, he'd have stopped at every traffic light, wouldn't he? If he was on yeah. foot. And every pub. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, we'd be in trouble. <laughs> Let's just mention Guinness a lot. That'll, uh, that'll save us. Yeah, and the, and the risk, of course, of being run over by John Nettley and William Berry in their carts. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, checking out the way. Um, now, um, before I wrap it up, we, we talked a lot about the different reasons that would point away from um, Stride being a ripper victim, but I want Chris to, to kind of give us his 90% sure that that uh she was a ripper victim well it's just it's just based on the as i said it's the it's the logical because because we can't know the mindset of the killer you 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 know you can only go on the available events and it's the i suppose it comes back to the old sort of occam's razor thing you know that the you know all things being equal the simplest explanation is 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 likely to have an element of truth in it and that if you get to um I won't say substantially similar, but if you get two murders occurring that certainly have common elements um, and you know that there is a killer of that type who has murdered at least twice before, sort of in the vicinity, and you get two women found dead on the street within 45 minutes of each other, within, you know, we now know 10 to 15 minutes walk, I think the, the, the logical basis is that it's likely... To me, the balance of probability is that they were victims of the same hand. The other scenario is that you've got two killers of women, you know, um, patrolling the same streets within 45 minutes of each other, both of whom failed to get caught. Now, I know that's not impossible, but to me, the other scenario that they, they died by the same hand being... I think that probably, you know, the same scenario would hold true today. You know, if you found uh, two victims of killed in a similar way if not certainly not identical way but if you found two women had been killed within 10 to 15 minutes walk of each other within three quarters of an hour you know i think it would be a logical starting point that they may be connected Mm. Mm -hmm. okay i'm gonna go ahead and wrap up the show here guys so thanks everyone for being on and that was rippercast episode 29 reign of terror the double event I want to thank everybody for being on the show today. Again, I want to thank Paul Begg, Chris Scott, Gareth Williams, and Allie Ryder. We are a weekly podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders, available for free download at our website at www.rippernet.com or via the iTunes Music Store, keyword Jack the Ripper or Rippercast in their podcast section. And if you have any questions or comments, you can email the show at rippernet at mac. Dot com. I want to thank everybody for listening. See you next week.
Well, I can't.